right, if you have your Bibles, grab those. Grab those. Romans chapter 10, starting in verse 13, and we'll get there here shortly. Romans 10, uh, 13 is where we will be this morning. And so uh, last week we started our new series, uh, Spiritual Habits, and that series, this series that we're in, will take us up to Easter. And so we'll uh, be in it for a little while, just looking at some of those things that are basic to our faith. Uh, I believe it's just important for us as believers to be focused in on and to uh, be reminded of the, the most important things. And so that's what this series is. This series is, is just to walk us uh, through some of those things that are just pertinent to our faith, that are just important to, to who we are uh, as believers, important to who we are as followers of Jesus as we actively uh, live out our faith and pursue Him. And so uh, last week we started this series, uh, and we started by looking uh, at how the Bible came to be. Uh, how we've got the inspired Word of God that we hold in our hands this morning, or we look up on our device. And so we'd stated last week that over a 1,500-year span, 1,500-year span, uh, we've got what we know as the 66 books that comprise our Bibles. And, and it was uh, recorded over three different continents by over 40 people. And, and so that just blows my mind. And I don't know where you're at in your faith or where you're at in the trust of the Scriptures, uh, but to think for a moment that, that it took that long to comprise the Scriptures that we've got or for the, the books to be recorded or for those uh, men to, to speak out and for people to record the, the Scriptures that we've got uh, over three different continents by 40 people. I mean, that just blows my mind. So it's not like a bunch of people got together and just tried to drum up this best-selling book that we've got. No, uh, it was God-inspired. God moved in such a way uh, to press upon the hearts of people to record His Word, to record His story, to record what He would want His church, His people to have to know about Him, to reveal Himself to us. And so the Bible was written uh, by both God and man. But hear me, it's not co-authored. It's not co-authored. God did not ask man to collaborate as he began to write, as he began to press upon people's hearts what he would want to say. No, the, the scriptures are completely inspired. It's pressed upon by God by way of the Holy Spirit on the heart of man to write and to put down exactly what our God, our creator would say to his people, to his creation. And so all of that sermon, if you missed it last week, is up on our app. It's up on our website. You can grab it there, check it out. Um, also want to remind you not to forget to download our app because you can follow along as we go throughout our sermon this morning uh, under the worship area on the little uh, toolbar at the bottom under sermon notes. You can follow along. It's got notes. It's got outlines. It's got points there that you can follow along um, as well as stay up to date. But I want to ask you if you would join me as we pray, and then we'll jump in this morning. So join me as we pray. Father, again, we thank you and we praise you for this morning. God, we thank you for this time together. God, where we can just set aside, God, where we can focus on you, God, where we can seek you, God, where we can uh, just commune with you. God, we ask that you speak to our heart. Fathers, we open up what we've come to learn and know is your inspired word. And we begin to dive in and we begin to see what you've said. Father, may your Holy Spirit, may he press upon our hearts the things that we need to know this morning. Maybe the areas in our life where we need correction, maybe the areas in our life where we need uh, a little more attention, Father, that, that he would just stir in us, God, a greater realization of who you are, that he would stir in us a greater affection and desire for you. And so, Father, again, we thank you for your written word. We thank you for, uh, for speaking to us, for allowing us to know you, to know your character, your nature, who you are. And so, Father, we thank you and we praise you in advance for what you're going to do in this place this morning. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. So spiritual habits. Um, so God's word is authority. Are you kidding me? Hey, Mom. 
Yeah, Mom, you know what I'm doing. It's 931. Yeah. I'm in church. I mean, your church don't start, her church don't start to 11. Your church don't start to a good crowd. They all look, yes, they look good. You think, I, hey, Mom, you think I look good? Thank you. Good. The boys are doing fine. Mom, I'm in the middle of something. They'll, they'll be, I know they'll be fine, but it's, like, it's kind of like that time where I get to tell them about Jesus. And yeah, yeah, Mary's there too. Hey, Meredith. She says, hey. She misses you. Oh, I'm working on She does. Okay. All right, well, let me, I'll get back with you later. I'll call you. Uh, all right, love you too, Mom. Pray for us. Pray for me. I'm going to need it after this. All right, bye. So sorry. Um, you may want to silence your phones as I need to do that. Um, guys, that's kind of embarrassing, isn't it? Wow. But kind of sets up perfectly for where we're at. And I guess the thought that kind of hits me with this is as Mom calls, I see her name pop up, right? It's Mama. And, and there's like there's certain people, and, and not to knock anybody in this room, yes, if you call me, you're important, but like Mama trumps people, you know? Like, like there's certain people, if they call it, it, it Mama trumps people like like um meredith if she calls that call trump's people and so um so i guess as i looked at it as i saw it the, this morning and i um see her calling it, it just i guess kind of makes me think of god's word because it's kind of the same way isn't it like like he he doesn't per se call us but he gives us what he wants to say to us so sometimes mom calls just to say hey like she did sometimes mom calls to check on the boys sometimes mom calls to check on her baby and all, all of those type of things like like, there, like there's many reasons why why mama calls but but as i think of as we've got god's word it, it, in essence it's like he calls to tell us about himself he calls to make himself known, to let us know about him and, and his word. And the, the crazy thing is, as I still have the opportunity to talk to my mama when she calls, it, it's, the crazy thing is we've got God talking to us. And we say, how often do we answer it in regards to opening up his word and seeing what he would have to say? Seeing what he would want to tell us. Because God's word is authoritative. God, God's word holds so much weight for our life as believers. It's the standard by which we gauge everything on. It, in, it directs us. God's word encourages us. God's word does a number on our hearts and minds, does it not? As we spend time in it, it, it transforms and changes us into the image of his son, the way we think, the way we act. All of those type of things begin to happen as we dive into God's word. And I think the thing that breaks my heart is how uninterested we are in God's word. I mean, I've, I've heard before of, of people whose parents have passed away. Man, I would give anything to pick up the phone and call mama or call dad. I mean, we can pick up and hear from God. The very written word, the very recorded word of our creator speaking to us. And it breaks my heart how uninterested we are as a people for what God has to say. Or how uninterested we are to learn what he would have us do or have us be. And so the how of learning scripture and applying it to our life is something that, that we should do as believers. And the way that we do that is by getting in his word. We need to spend time in God's word because it positions us in, in a way that we can grow and mature in our relationship with God, whereby we can even know his heart and what he would say to us. And so what we have to do is we've got to keep relationship as our aim. We've got to remember that the words of Scripture are there for us to know God's heart, for us to commune with Jesus, be with Jesus, and to respond appropriately to His glory and to His voice. And so this morning what I want to do is I want to look at three ways just maybe to, to stir in us our love and our hunger for God's Word. 
three ways this morning to to stir, that God would stir in us a greater love and hunger for His Word. And the first way we have a love and a hunger for God's Word is to hear it. It is we've got to hear His Word. We've got to listen to His Word. 1 Timothy 4.13, it it says this. 1 Timothy uh, 4.13, you've got the Apostle Paul writing uh, to Timothy, and he says, says this. He says, Until I come, devote yourself to the public readings of Scripture, to the exhortation and to teaching. That we need to be devoted to the, the public exhortation of Scripture, the reading of Scripture, the, the teaching of Scripture, that we need to hear God's Word. And so that's what we do here this morning. We gather in this place to hear the proclamation of God's Word, of His truth, of, of His standard, of what He expects of us, of, of His holiness. All of those things are revealed. His nature, His character are revealed through His Word, through the proclamation of His Word. And what do we do? We gather here to hear that. We gather in this place to hear what God would say, what God has said, and what he would say to us this morning. Now now look at Romans 10.13 for a moment. Romans 10.13, and we'll walk through some of these verses. And just remember, this is a way to have a love and a hunger for God's word, is to hear it. And look at what what the the book of Romans says. 10.13, it says, For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. I mean, this is truth, right? This is reality. There's no exceptions. How are you saved? You call on the name of the Lord. We must understand that call on his name is, is, um, is not a formal sense here. That's not what he's talking about. It's a calling on the Lord out of a sense of desperation, out of a sense of realizing your great need, out of a sense of inadequacy that proceeds from a genuine conviction that the Lord is who he is and, he, and that the Lord has done what he said he's going to do. That, that Jesus Christ is who he says he is and he has done what he said he's going to do. Who is he? He is the living son of God is what the scriptures reveal and teach us. What is so great about Jesus and what has he done? And he's died on the cross for us. He, he's taken our place. He's taken our sin, our shame upon himself. And what we do is we believe, we enter into by faith, we call upon his name out of a desperate heart and a realization of who we are compared to who he is and the standard that he has set. And so for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So from that reality of who Jesus is and what Jesus has done by way of the cross, offering salvation to us, Paul, then what he's going to do is he's going to establish how salvation can be made known. He's going to let us know how it can be made known. Look at verse 14. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him him of whom they have not heard? See that word heard there? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? So those of us in this room this morning have come to faith because of God's word. We have heard God's word proclaimed somehow, some way, and combining that with the work of the Holy Spirit, God moves in a mighty way. And the theological term that we have there is illumination. Illumination is the word that we use. It's, it's this word that means that the Holy Spirit is, is doing his work of awakening and enlightening the reality of our need for him. Illumination is the lifelong work of the Holy Spirit in the life of a Christian, uh, a work in the life of a non-believer. And it starts before conversion with a growing grasp of truth about Jesus and a growing sense of, of who Christ is and what he's done. The reality of the work of the cross, that's Illumination. The Holy Spirit presses upon us our great need for Jesus, our great need for what Christ has accomplished on the cross. And so illumination in a spiritual sense is, is this thought of turning on the light, per se. Turning on the light. It's, it's, under, it's understanding it in two ways, two-fold ways here. It's, it's before salvation. And what I mean by that is this, is, is Jesus said that the Spirit would convict the world of sin and of not believing in Him. 
So the work of the Holy Spirit is the work of illumination whereby as a lost person, God starts to woo. God starts to draw. God starts to point out the reality of our lostness and our great need for him. God starts to work in a mighty way by the way of his Holy Spirit where he shows us that. He makes us aware of our horrific condition separated from him. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. That's the work of illumination. And then the second way it happens is after we come to faith in Christ... It's after salvation. Ephesians 1, uh, 17 and 18 tells us that the Spirit gives wisdom and revelation concerning Jesus Christ, and he opens the eyes of understanding so we can know God's purpose in our lives. So the work of illumination, the work of the Holy Spirit is to draw, to woo, to show us of our great need for Christ. And then when he saves us, when God gloriously saves us, then the Holy Spirit's work of illumination is to continue to help us to grow continue to awaken us to the reality of maybe sin in our life or areas where we drift or of our great need for him every moment of every day. See, salvation is not something you just, you're saved and now you move away from. No, salvation is the very thing that you always camp out there. You always remember the work of the cross. You always reflect on what God has done in your life. And so the Holy Spirit's working. He's illuminating. He's bringing to light this reality of our great need for him, either by way of needing him for salvation or by way of remembering him after salvation, our great need for him to be able to do anything as a believer. Anything. And so he goes on in verse 15 and says this. He says, And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, How beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he, what he has heard from us? So faith comes from hearing. How? Hearing. And hearing through the word of Christ. So faith comes through hearing. And hearing what? Hearing God's word proclaimed. Hearing who Jesus is. Hearing the word of Christ. This is just a, another confirmation that faith and hearing uh, the word of God go hand in hand. They, they, they go together. So for us this morning, there's two types of hearing. The effectual call of salvation. See, God's word is proclaimed, and that's the avenue whereby the Holy Spirit awakens, as I've said, a heart to the reality of their need for Jesus, of his sacrifice on the cross. Now do you see why evangelism is so important? Now do you see why there's a great need for us to go and proclaim and share to the ends of the earth? How do people come to know Jesus? Through hearing his word. You're hearing about Jesus. Us explaining and telling, us reading scripture, us lifting high the name of Christ. And now do you see why it's so important so tomorrow at work or today when we go to lunch, at lunch to have gospel conversation, to share our faith with the, uh, the waitress or to share our faith with our coworker or to share our faith with our lost family member? Because it's in that work of sharing that the work of the Holy Spirit takes place of illumination whereby he, God makes aware people's lostness. So we have to share. We need to share. We've got to. The word of God has got to be proclaimed. The second type of hearing is this, is the, just the pressing on the souls of the saints. Just, just the pressing in on the souls of the saints. When God's word is proclaimed, it's the avenue whereby the Holy Spirit brings about growth and maturity in our faith. So when we read the word of God, the Holy Spirit presses upon us. Okay, Scott, you're doing okay there. You need to work on this. When, when I read something, it, it pricks my heart. The Holy Spirit pricks my heart and says, whoa, conviction is happening. Encouragement's happening. Different things happen. It's where the Holy Spirit pricks our hearts and draws us more into the presence of God and transforms us and changes us into the image of God. That's what needs to happen. We need to hear the word proclaimed. 
We need to listen to what God has to say. And this is one of the ways that we do that. Just as Paul told Timothy, always read my word aloud. Tell my people about me. This is part of it. We gather here this morning as a rallying around God's word. What has he said? What does he have to say? I mean, the thing that blows my mind as we gather here this morning with the amount of people that we have in this place this morning, that God will speak individually to people in different ways. Just by looking at this word, just by reading his word, the Holy Spirit presses upon our heart different convictions, different encouragements. Every one of us, he hits us differently. And I love that about our God, how relational he is. How much he cares that his word gets into your heart individually. That he has something to say for you, to you this morning. I mean, have you thought about it like that? This morning as you gather in this place and as we open up his word and as we hear his word proclaimed. Not not Scott's words, but God's words proclaimed. The fact that he wants to say something to you, to you, to you, to you, you, you. Individually, he wants you to hear from him personally. God has spoken. We've got to hear his word. The second way we have a love and a hunger for God's word is we've got to read it. We've got to read it. We hear it proclaimed, and that's good. We need this, but it doesn't just stop here. We need to, to read it. We need to dive into it. We need to fall in love with it all the more. We need to hear what he has said. We need to read what he has said. We need to digest and chew on it and meditate and think on it. So Romans 15, 4. Romans 15, 4. Turn there. We read it, it says, For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction. When you see that word instruction there, it just means for teaching. So whatever was written back in that day, whenever the scriptures were originally comprised, or whenever God pressed upon people's heart to, to record and to put down in that day, or for whatever was written in that day was written for our instruction to teach us, to help us, so we can learn, so we can grow, that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures, we may have hope. So everything that was recorded, everything that was written in the scriptures then should be our desire to know and to live that. Why? Because we get to know God all the more. We get to see his heart for us. We get to see his standard. We get to know whereby what he says for us to do and to be about. So not only did it serve the need of its own day, but it's also relevant for us today. I mean, have you thought about that? Year after year after year, the best-selling book is the scriptures. Year after year after year. I mean, and we're, we're what, 2020, right? I mean, we're the cream of the crop, right? We are further technologi- technologically advanced than we've ever been. We know more today than we have ever known ever. I mean, for goodness sakes, we can go to the moon. We know what's happening on Mars right now. I mean, we are so far along in travel, in knowledge, in understanding, in wisdom, and all of these things. But we have got this ancient book here of our God, our Creator, speaking to us, and it is still the most relevant book ever written. Most relevant book ever written. We don't, we don't need self-help books. We don't need um, psychological books. We don't need how to be a better whatever books. We've got the best book that records and lets us know how to do all that, how to be all of that, what needs to happen. It is relevant for us today. And it's relevant because it speaks to our deepest needs. It speaks to our deepest needs. So how does it speak to our deepest needs? How, how, how does it speak to our deepest needs? One, it settles the issue of our own salvation. It shows us whereby we can be saved, whereby we can be made right. I mean, we're, we're in tune with that, correct? I mean, like, you get that, right? If you, just, if you look at our world, it doesn't take much to realize that something has went horrifically wrong. And the reality is this, something has went horrifically wrong in us. 
I don't know how in tune you are with, with self and with sin issues and with struggles, but if, if you look at self, even the struggle from day to day just to live out holiness, just to live out what Jesus is like, that struggle that's there, it's just a reminder of our great need for him. It's a reminder that we're broken and that the only way that we can be fixed is through the love of Christ, through a relationship with Jesus. So his word points to the reality that we need him, points to the reality of our own salvation. And the scriptures are clear that we're to work out our salvation with fear and trembling, right? It's an every moment of everyday thing whereby we look inwardly and we check our motives, we check our heart. And that's what God's word does. It reveals and it shows and it cuts because it's relevant and it reminds us of our great need for him and our condition that we're in. So we need to constantly look at the gospel and let that be the standard whereby we judge everything else. Let that be the filter that we run everything through. The second way it speaks to our desperate needs is it teaches us how to grow spiritually. 1 Peter 2, 2 says this, As newborn babes desire the pure milk of the word that you may grow thereby. We need to desire the, the milk of the word. We need to desire the meat of the word. We need to desire God's word. Why? Because in that, as we chew on it, as we drink it, as we eat it, as we digest it, as we look at it, as all of those things start to happen, it helps us grow and mature in our faith. See, the picture here is representing that of intense hunger for God's word. I mean, how, I mean, have you, how many of you have been around a baby and when I think it's hungry, right? I mean, like, like you would think the poor thing's dying. Like, dude, you just ate two minutes ago. How are you that hungry again? Like to the point of like survival, you know? Like they're, like they're screaming and you're trying to get everything together and fix. And like, like it takes us three minutes. And it's like, dude, you know I always feed you. Why are you doing this? You know I'm going to get you the bottle. Or you know that I'm going to prepare you. Or you know it happens every time. You cry, I get. You cry, I get. Why are you doing this? But that's the picture that we need to see here. That needs to be us as it pertains to God's word. Just a desiring, just a longing for it. I can't wait to get in. can't wait to see. Just as our bodies need food to survive, our souls need spiritual food to be nurtured. That's how we grow. The third thing is this, is that we receive personal guidance from God's word. We receive guidance. When we're faced with many of life's decisions and struggles, we turn to, we turn to God's word for insight and direction. We, we look at God's word. We open up God's word. Psalm 119, 105 says this. He says, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Your word, God's word, is a lamp into my feet and a light into my path. And so when the psalmist writes this, the picture here is the effect of learning God's word is having a lamp for life that lights the way before us so we can see where we're going. His word is a lamp into my feet and a light into my path. Ever tried to walk somewhere in the dark night? You can't see, can you? You can't go. You can't make it to your destination if you don't have light when it's pitch black. Well, because it's dark. You can't see there's no shadows, there's no nothing, there's no reflection of the moon. It's just dark. Well, that's the world we live in. And so what the psalmist is saying is we need, God, we, need, we need God's word to direct us, to guide us, to illuminate and to show us where we're headed. The fourth thing is this, is we use God's word or we have God's word to defend ourselves against the devil. Ephesians 6, Paul instructs believers there to put on the whole armor of God. The whole armor of God. That you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. That's what verse 11 tells us. And so the Christian's defense, our defense as believers against the assault is, is putting on the spiritual armor of God. And then he goes on and he says that a vital part of that armor is, is the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. That's what verse 17 tells us. The sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. 
And so what do we notice in Jesus' life whenever he's tempted? Remember, um, he goes up and he's, he's fasting for 40 days and he's led into the wilderness to be, what, tempted by the devil? And as he's there and Satan starts to tempt him, starts to try to attack him, starts to try to tear him down, what does Jesus do? He quotes scripture. He, he just quotes scripture. Church, church, that's how we fight the schemes of the devil. That's how we fend off. That's how we defeat darkness. Those things that creep up in your heart or creep up in your mind, how do you defeat that? Don't just try harder. Don't just turn the TV off. Don't, yeah, we need to do those things. We need to run. We need to get away from. But what do we do? We turn to Scripture. We fight. We've got to be active in pursuing and destroying that. And the way that we do that is through God's Word. We fight it off. We defend ourselves. The fifth way is to effectively teach God's truth to the next generation. That's another use of God's Word. While we have God's written, revealed Word, it's to teach God's truth to the next generation. I love Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy 6, 6 through 7 says this, And these words which I command you today shall be in your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk to them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise up. The picture here, parents, and let me just press for a moment because I believe and I'm a proponent for the family and for the head of the house, for the moms and the dads to be the greatest Bible teacher in your kid's life. And the picture that we see here in Deuteronomy is that. Man, man, as you rise, as you lay down, as you go, you, you shall teach them diligently to your children. You talk with them. You let them know. You tell them about God and who God is and what he's done, what he's accomplished in you, in this world, through his word. I just believe you as the parent need to teach your kid God's word. Not our children's director, not our youth pastor, not even the pastor of the church should be the greatest teacher in your kid's life. No, I, I believe it's the parents. That's God's pattern for the Christian home. We get it over in the book of Deuteronomy there. The pattern is the parents teaching. And I guess as I look at it, as I think about it, who has the greatest influence in their kid's life? Mom and dad. Mom, who spends the most time with their kids? Mom and dad. Who's around them? Mom and dad. I mean, I think of when they get up. I think when we fix them breakfast, when we're talking to them there, we, we take them here and there. We're in the car. Like yesterday, we go shopping to get some stuff. As we do that, where they, they're stuck in the car with us. As we're walking up and down aisles looking at things, they're, in the, they're with us. As we bring them home that evening, as we eat dinner, as we eat lunch, we're always around each other. And then at night as we get ready for bath, I mean, they're always there. Then we get ready to put them down as we put them down. We've just got to be intentional, church. We've got to get God's word in us. And that's what it says there at the very beginning of Deuteronomy 6. It says, and these words which I have commanded you today shall be in your heart. That should be the overflow of our heart as believers. What, to tell our kids about Jesus? To tell our kids about God? Like, I love it. I love it. It's happened here, and it's happened at the previous church I was at before here. As I've had this opportunity to talk with parents before, and as I talk with parents, I just want to make sure that my kids say, I'm like, well, did you tell them about Jesus? Well, Yeah. Did they say that they believed? Did you share with them what sin is and what the cross? Uh, yeah, I did all that, but I just want to make sure. I said, then they're saved. I mean, I don't hold like a special power on that. I mean, I don't work in that. Like, it, it's God working. And I think that's awesome, the fact that, that a mama cared enough for her kid to share the gospel with, or the kid starts to ask questions, and the dad starts to share who Jesus is. And in that, God saves them. I mean, I think that's amazing. That's the biblical picture that we see here. That's God's pattern for the Christian home. Now you see why it's important to be in the Word? As he says there in the very beginning of that scripture in Deuteronomy, these words which I command you today shall be in your heart. 
So, so it's got to start there. It's got to start with us getting God's word in our heart because I believe the greatest Bible teacher in, in your kid's life is you. Either by the way you reject it and don't live it out and don't walk in that way or by the way that you accept it, believe it, and walk in, in the obedience of what God has said. The sixth way is this, is to be ready to speak with unbelievers about Christ. Why are we in God's word? Why do we need to read God's word? So we're ready to talk about what Jesus has said. So when we're faced with those moments with a coworker saying this, or we're faced with those moments when the world believes this way and this standard, and this is how things are to go, and this is how things are to be, whenever we, we enter into that and we realize that and we have that conversation, we've got God's word in our heart, we've studied it, we know what it said, so we can have conversation. We can speak with unbelievers about Jesus. I think the thing that blows my mind is the fact of how much we, we gather here this morning and, and I would believe the consensus in a room like this this morning at a time like this, at a place like this would be, yes, Jesus is the love of my life. Yes, I love Jesus the most. Yes, he's the greatest thing. And the thing that scares me to death is when we walk out these doors, how that just slips away and we forget about it. We're so quick just to forget about that. And I can, the way I want to try to prove that is this, who did you tell about Jesus this week? Who did you tell about him? Let me go this way, maybe. Who did you tell about your Clemson Tigers? Uh-huh. Who did you tell about your new grandbaby? Who did you have conversation with about your kid? My kid got straight A's. Woo. He read this level, and he did this, and he did that, and he can do flip-flops on the trampoline. He just coos. Look at him. He's awesome. And what did that do for the souls of fallen man? Absolutely nothing. Nothing did it. We have got to be in God's word and allow it to shape and mold us. Ah, because if you haven't noticed, the world hates us. The darkness hates the light. You can't be blinded to that, church. And so we have the great privilege and the great honor of doing what? Exactly what we read in Romans earlier, Romans 10, to take the message of Jesus to this world. What is the message of Jesus? It's his word. It's his revealed word. It's the reality of who Christ is. We are called to witness. We are called to evangelize. Not just the pastor of a church, but the men and women who gather week in and week out who claim to be believers, followers of Christ. It's your responsibility to. Thank you. It's your responsibility. It's my responsibility. The next reason why we're in God's Word or we need to be reading God's Word is to, to verify that the teaching of others is the truth of God. To verify that what I say on this stage week in and week out matches up to with what God has revealed to us. What God has said. Like, like, like you get that everybody that stands on a stage and opens up God's Word doesn't really proclaim God's Word, right? Like sometimes the stuff that you hear on the radio is not really good stuff for you to be listening to. And I'm talking about Christian radio sometimes, that it just doesn't match up, that their theology or their doctrine is not that of which the Scripture proclaims. I mean, I mean do you, the, the prosperity gospel for a moment, just think about that. Think about that ridiculousness for a second. How crazy, the prosperity, just give us your money or just send in. Like we were on the couch last night talking a little bit about, about one of these prosperity gospel preacher people. And it just makes me sick because one of the things that was said was this, is that if you'll just send in your $199, brothers and sisters, then I will pray for you. And as I pray for you, there will be God's power released in your life. And as God's power is released in your life, those strongholds will break and you'll be able to. And so it's going to cost me 200 bucks to get that? So you can have another helicopter? So you can have a bigger house, knock out that wall and make it like 50,000 square feet? So you can buy another sports car? 
so you can have. And then what happens if maybe your so great prayer just doesn't happen to release what I need released? Is it a money-back guarantee? They never give you that. There's no money-back guarantees with my prayers here. I mean, we're just... Because it doesn't work like that. I mean, and besides, if you think prosperity gospel, let's look at the men and women of Scripture, men and women of Scripture, because for heaven's sakes, I mean, they were demolished, were they not? I mean, Paul lost his life for his faith in Jesus. Where's the prosperity in that? These blessings and these riches, like, like the hut that he lived in, or he got arrested, or he, this or that. I mean, you have, you have Peter who was crucified. You have all of these people who lost their life. The disciples lost their life following Jesus. And so I see nowhere, if you just try harder, if you just believe more, if you just give this guy this money, you'll have your best life now. I don't want my best life now. I want Jesus then and there. That's my best life. Eternity is where we get that church. You hear me? That's where blessing and that's where all of that happens. Not, I don't want to hear. If God never gives us another thing, he's given us too much by way of his son. You hear me? Let them put that in their pipe and smoke it for a minute. And then we've got to know that, though, because you know what? It feels, oh, man, it feels so warm and cuddly, does it not? Man, I would love to send 200 bucks in and have whatever I wanted. God doesn't work like that. God doesn't work like that. I would love to believe that, that fluffy, fluff, fluff, fairy. But that's just not life, is it? Well, because when we get cut, we bleed. When we get hit, it hurts. But Jesus, the promise he gives us is that there is a better life waiting for us and that he's going to be with us every step of the way regardless. That's what God's word teaches. That's what we've got to get in. And we've got to know whenever there's hogwash being blown out everywhere on a place like this. You hear me? We've got to know that when we open up a book and we start to to read it, that this is ridiculous stuff that doesn't line up in accordance to God's word. That this is just that heartfelt fluff fluff to try to make you feel better about yourself. And hear me, this book does not make me feel better about myself. What this book does is points me to the one who can fix that problem that's called sin. That's what this does. That's what I need. I don't need some author to come along and tell me how great and awesome I am. Because hear me, this tells me that I'm not. But it tells me about the one that can make me great and awesome. And that's Jesus. And me being great and awesome is not about me, but it's about Christ. That's what it's about. And we need to be in God's word so we can verify that the teaching of others is the truth of God. So we need to be in his word, studying it personally, reading, growing in knowledge of who he is and what he has said. Which brings us to the third third way we can have a love and a hunger for God's word. And this is a tough one, but we need to memorize it and we need to meditate on it. We need to memorize God's word and we need to meditate on it. Remember what Deuteronomy said, that you've hidden in your heart, that you've had implanted in your heart God's word that you know in your heart? Psalm 119.9 says this. <laughs> How can a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to your word. So how can someone keep their way pure? How, do, how can we live? How can we know how to live and how to be and how to interact and, and flourish within God's standards? By, by guarding it, by having his word in us, by guarding it according to his word. We know what his word says. And as we know what God's word says, then we can walk in that way. We can live in that way, in that fashion. And so God's word is the standard, church. It's the standard and the place whereby we check ourselves, Not our neighbor, not another book, not a self-help thing, but in God's word through Jesus. And so we weigh what we do and how we think in conjunction to God's ways and his thoughts. And that's found in his word. He goes on in verse 10 and says this. He says, my whole heart. 
And so when the psalmist says this, it's the very inner man. It's his mind. It's his, it's his will. It's his heart. It's who he is. With my whole heart, I do what I seek you. So he's going after. He's pursuing God with all that he is. And he says this, let me not wander from your commandments. Let me not wander from your commandments. How's he going to accomplish that? Not wandering from God's word. Uh, I had a friend this week that um, picked up the boys for us, and uh, she took the boys out. And so usually what we do is because car seats are just a booger, are they not? And having to like latch it in and get in there, and like you're standing on your head trying to hit that little little mark that's going to hold them in and save their whole little life if we wreck. And so so it's just an aggravation. So usually what we do is we'll just well, hey here just take our car and we'll just take yours. And so uh, the car that I switched with happened to be like this this fancy cool little car that has like lane detection. Yeah. And I know that I have proclaimed from this stage that I am the best driver that I know. But even the best drivers that you know sometimes tend to swerve or drift from time to time. And so as I'm going to the house, as I'm going around the road and I'm there, and I don't know how these things do it, but they, can just, they just know whether you're in the lines. And I struggled with that as a kid in school, you know, like coloring between the lines. I was just horrible with that. And so I'm driving all of a sudden, beep, 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 beep. I'm like, we're going to blow up. Like I'm thinking like, this is it. Like, Lord, come get me. I love you. Like, it's just going to, how do, how do they even know? Like, I'm going to eject or something? Like, this beep, 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 beep. And I look down, and it says, lane detection engaged. And I'm like, that is awful. I mean, as good of a driver as I am, I still, I mean, that line gets close sometimes. The painting people don't get it evenly spaced out. It just happens, right? Where do we live in? The world's rotating as, anyways. So, so it does the beep, 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 beep. And I look down, lane lane detection engaged but as I was reading God's word this week as I was thinking about this and kind of looking at his word it, let me not wander from your commandments that's what God's word does church for us is this is this is lane detection you know what I'm saying am, am I in the right lane am, am I following in the right direction that I need to be I don't want to go down a one-way street the wrong way you know what I'm saying that don't end well for the guy if there's either a ticket involved jail time maybe you hit somebody like I don't want all of that stuff it's far worse for us when it goes against God's word. And so I just thought about that this week is, is that's what God's word does. Is it's lane detection for us. It helps us not wander from his commandments. He says in verse 7, I have stored up. Stored up is the word treasured. I have treasured your word in my heart. Think about that for a moment. Think about that. Psalm 119, I have treasured your word in my heart. Stored it up. I mean, do you value God's word above anything else that can occupy your time? I don't know, whenever I read this, it was like kind of one of those things. You know, I was talking about the Holy Spirit earlier, illumination. God made me realize real quick, okay, Scott, maybe, maybe your passions and desires for my word, as cute and nice and as good as you think that they are, and they're lacking, bro. Like, they are lacking horrifically. Lacking. To the point of where I would say, man, I have treasured his word in my heart. I mean, how do you store up God's word in your heart? We have to have it before us constantly, don't we? We have to be thinking about it. We have to, we have to be memorizing it. We have to have it constantly before us, thinking about it, listening to it. I mean, if you're not a good reader, there's apps that'll read it to you. I mean, there's all kinds of ways. I can remember once I was at a, I was at a, um, a retreat, a youth retreat, and we had a speaker come in, and, and he did this illustration, and I want to try to accomplish it the best way that I could or that I can after trying to remember how, how he did it. But, but this was the kind of the illustration that he, that he gave. How many people in this place, you don't have to hit it perfectly, like you don't have to come up, we're not going to get you up here singing a song, but, but how many in this place, you could probably get through one song, like, like, like you just know right now that you could probably just sing from memory. It doesn't have to be perfect, 
But just, I mean, you could, yeah, come on, this is, I'm not, come on, show me, show me those hands. God bless, God bless. No, keep them up, keep them up. This is this illustration. You could probably get through, I mean, 60s, 70s, we don't care what era it was, 90s, today's, whatever. I mean, hands up, hands up, okay, good. Uh, who would say maybe you could get through three songs? Maybe not perfect, okay, five songs? Jonathan, you sing, that's cheating, dude. You got, oh, yeah, y'all would. Ten songs? Okay. Hymns count. Fifteen. Twenty. <laughs> whatever, whatever. Okay, 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 good. Okay, so we've established something there, okay? So, so you could get through some songs, you could get through some things like that. Um, what about this? What about this? Who could, re- who could recite from memory a scripture from the Bible? And normally what I do here is say, well, you can't do John 3.16, or you can't do John, uh, uh, John 11, is it 35, where Jesus wept? But I'll give you those. Who, from memory, like right, you could do it right now. I'm not going to ask you to. There's no, there's no fear here. Don't worry. Don't freak out. Okay, one verse. At least one verse. Okay? How about three verses? Five verses. Ten verses? Fifteen verses? Twenty. How about a verse for every year that you've been saved? Uh, I just want to leave that here for a second. Do you feel that? And we say that we love Jesus with everything in us, and he's the greatest relationship we have. That's just 20 verses, 25 verses, 30 verses for some of us, 50 verses. I can remember being at a conference once, and you probably know this, David Palat, the, the, uh, he used to be a pastor, and then he kind of stepped away and did some stuff in the convention, and I think now he's back pastoring, but, but David Palat, just this, this great mammoth man of the faith, just an intelligent, intelligent theologian. Um, so we're at a conference, and I've taken some youth to a conference, and as we're there, he's like, all right, open up your Bibles to Psalm 119. And so I'm flipping, and he begins going. I'm like, gosh, dude, give us a, give us a second. And so we're going there, and I'm getting to, I get to Psalm 119, and I'm trying to catch up. And as I'm trying to figure out, the person next to me just taps me on the shoulder. I'm like, what? I'm getting to Psalm 119, right? What verse is he in? And he's like, and I look up on the stage, and what David Platt has done, Psalm 119 is the longest chapter in the Bible. I, I can't remember how many verses is, is there, Job, Psalms. Let's just, let's just do this for a moment. Psalm 119. Um, uh, Psalm 119, uh, we are at Psalm 119. We're 176 verses in Psalms 119. And he, from memory, begins to just speak out Psalm 119. I'm like, whoa. And I'm just enthroned by what he's like, just engulfed in him, just speaking out Psalm 119. I'm like, that dude's a freak. But then God convicted me and said, Scott, you could be a freak for me too if you wanted to. And freak in a good way, you know what I'm saying? And what it is, he's just got a greater desire to know my word. He's got a greater desire to know what I have to say. His memory may or may not be better than mine, I don't know. But if I practice, if I exercise, if I do the things that I need to do to get in God's word, I mean, how did I, how did I memorize songs? Well, I heard him over and over and over and over. I sang him, I had the sheet music in front of me, I had the words in front of me. And then he goes on in the psalm here, and he says, the reason why we can have God's word in our heart, this is the why, this is the why. It says, that I might not sin against you. So he says, I have stored up, I have treasured your word in my heart. Why has he done that? So he wouldn't sin against God. He doesn't want to sin against God. That's what the psalmist says. 
He gets serious about his sins so much that he wants God's word memorized in his heart, uh, just logged away in his heart so it could shape him and mold him. Why? So he doesn't sin. He doesn't want to go against what God's standard is. He doesn't want to rebel. That's his heart's desire. And so my fear is that in today's world, we're so far removed from God's word, either by ignorance or by laziness or just by choice, that when we sin, we don't even realize we're sinning or we just don't care. Well, because we haven't hidden his word in our heart. You mean I can't talk like that to somebody? Why not? Well, God's word says it. Oh, it does? We don't even know that. Or, Or I can't live that way. Or who are you to judge me? I can do this if I want to do this. Well, no, are you a believer? Yeah, well, God's word says no. Oh, now you're one of those uh, fundamental independent. Yes, I'm fundamental. Fundamentally on God's word, I'm independent. Yeah, I just need his word. I don't need any other interpretation, any other thing. Yes, I'm fundamental independent. Yes, I'm conservative. Why? Because I'm all about what God's word says. And if you want to label me that way, label, I'm fine with that. That's cool, whatever. But I'm going to fundamentally, independently be all about con- conservative with God's word and what it says. And I want to wrap my life up around it. I want to hide his word in my heart. See, it's a dangerous place to be to be sinning and not even realize it. If you confess to be a believer, which what that might do is just show the fact that maybe you're not a believer. Because what I've learned is that those who encounter Christ, who come to Jesus in faith, there's a growing desire and, and hunger for him. And the way we get that is through his word. And he goes on in verse 12 and says, it's Blessed are you, O Lord. Teach me your statutes. It's teach me your word. That's what he says. With my lips, I declare all the rules of your mouth. In the way of your testimonies, I delight as much as in all riches. His word, he says, is greater than all the riches in the world. He says, I will meditate on your precepts and fix my eyes on your way. That's what the psalmist says. I will meditate on your precepts. What's his precepts? His word, his revealed word to us. That's it, God's word. I'm gonna fix my eyes on your way, how you would say, how you would live. Meditate in the original language here carries this thought of a low sound like a cooing of a dove or a growling of a lion. Meditating on the word of God may... It may involve you saying it and reading it over and over. The illustration I gave Wednesday night as we uh, looked at Psalm chapter 1, and it uses this word, was, was simply this. So you're trying to memorize God's word. You're trying to be in God's word all the more. And so what you've done is you've written it down on a card, and you've carried it with you through the week. Well, so I can hide it in my heart, so I can come to know God, so I can be ready in that season when someone asks, of what's the hope within me? So Romans 5, 8, but God shows his love for us, and that while we were sinners, that Christ died for us. And so this thought of this meditating, it's, it's, it's kind of this, but, but God showed his love for us and that while we were sinners, God, oh God, the creator of the universe, God, the one that gave his son, he shows, he displays what his love, his love is, his commitment and dedication for fallen man by way of his son, Jesus. He, he shows his love in us, in us, in us, in us, me. God shows his love in us, toward me, that while I was still a sinner, Man, when I was an enemy of God, God died for me. Jesus died for me. But God shows his love for us and that while we were still sinners, he sends his son, Christ died for us. And it's this thought of just taking this out and reading it and doing that. Like when you're walking up and down the hallway at work or when you're at lunch pulling it out and sitting next to your, your plate, but, but God shows his love for us, but God shows his love for us, but God shows his love for us. And that while we were still sinners and while we were still sinners, that he sent his son, that Christ died for us. And so it's just like over, but God shows his love, but God shows his love, but God shows his love, but God shows his love. It's like that thought carries this thought of, of meditation, of having God's word there so we can see it's having it in us and around us and being dedicated to it and, and constantly visiting and thinking of it. 
In verse 16, he says, I will delight. It's this thought of bending toward, it's to be inclined towards or take pleasure in. I will take pleasure in what your statutes, God's word, his standards. What is something that brings you pleasure? What the psalmist is saying is that it's God. I'm going to be bent toward that. I'm going to be bent toward his standards, his word. He says, I will not forget your word. I'll delight in your statutes. I will not forget your word. See, we don't forget something that we're constantly visiting, that we're constantly memorizing, that we're constantly looking at, that we uh, bend our heart toward. And so I, I know the arguments, right? I know the arguments. As I sit there and listen to David Palat go uh, 176 verses strong in the book of Psalms, 119. I got to say, man, I, I will never be able to do that. And so what I did that day in my heart was say, I'm too dumb or I'm too slow or I'm not smart enough or I'm just, what, what it boils down to is I'm just lazy. Just be honest for a moment, right? We're just lazy. We have everything handed to us. We expect God just to give us every little thing that we've ever wanted and just do for us. Yeah, I should know God's word, but I don't read it. I mean, how jank is God that he won't even give me his word and I don't even read it and put time into it? Huh, what kind of God are you? No, what kind of follower are you is my question. Don't put that blame on God. God's given you everything that you need right here. Everything that you, you want to memorize, you want to know, maybe the problem is desire. Maybe the problem is where your heart belongs to begin with. And so as I sat there that day, as I thought about that, as I looked at it, like I know the arguments in this room. I'm just not good at memorizing. Well, do you know your address? Oh. Do you know your phone number? Probably not now because we've got that stuff on our phones, and so we're not as good as that, right? But you know a phone number. If you got in trouble, you could call somebody today without your cell phone and hit number one. How did you come to know that? You memorized it. You looked at it over and over and over. You, you tried to figure it out. You put it down. You wrote it down so you could go back and visit it often. So hear me, church, no different with God's word. And look, look I'm a dude, so I like to always pick on us men here at this point. And, and I know that, that we, uh, we're really good at knowing the second string uh, running back for the practice squad. who will never make it pro, but he's our second stringer and he's helping, he's helping our guys get better on the field. We know his name and we know his stats and we know what high school he went to. We know what his girlfriend's name is. Well, how do we do that? Because we read and we look and we study and we, we keep in our heart what we think is important. And so what we have to do as a church, we have to set a precedence on God's word in our lives so much that we always think about it. We always talk about it. We're always looking at it. We're meditating on it. That's what we do. We write it out. We put it in our pocket. Put it in your car next to, next to the uh, uh, little console there. Put it in your bathroom on the mirror. Do, put it around you. Be thinking of it. Set little alarms on your phone to go off. So we as the church have got to always base and be about what God's word says, what he has said for us to do. We must with everything in us fight for God's word in our heart to be at the forefront of everything that we think, everything that we do. And so hear me, it's so easy to drift. It's so easy to forget, to become ignorant or, or to even quit caring. But we've got to make God's word a priority. We've got to make it a habit. We've got to. So as the band comes up, I want to read a story to you real quick. I want to share of an article that I read this week. You've got um, a, a lady by the name of Philippea Lally, and she's a health uh, uh, psychology researcher at the University College in London. And in a study she published in the European Journal of Social Psychology, she said that her research team dis, uh, decided to figure out just how long it actually takes for something to form a habit, for something to become a habit. Because I've always heard like, like 22 days or 21 days or 30 days of, of what does it really take. And so on average, it takes more than two months before a new behavior becomes automatic. More than two months. 66 days to be exact. 
and how long it takes and new habits to, to form can really vary, uh, uh, it can vary depending upon the behavior or the person or the circumstances. And so in her study, she said it took anywhere from 18 days to 254 days for people to form a new habit. So in other words, if you want to set your expectations appropriately, the truth is that it will probably take you anywhere from two months to eight months to build a new behavior into your life. And I know the pressure there is we're this quick-fix culture, we're this quick-fix world. We pray about it. We should already have it. Uh, we're, we're in thronged with, with Amazon can get it to us in two days. Why can't, why can't we get this thing figured out in, in, in two days? That's the world we live in. But what this research shows is that, that we've got to devote the time, the energy, and the effort. And so what if it takes 66 days or if it takes 254 days as it pertains to God's word? Why would we not do everything in us to try to get it? Why would we not devote the time, the energy, the desire to have it? Oh, what would be produced through us? I was reading this week and it said at a rate of two chapters, just two chapters a day. That's it. You can complete the New Testament somewhere around 19 weeks. Two chapters. Two chapters a day of the New Testament. Matthew to Revelation. Two chapters. That's it. In 19 weeks. 19 weeks. A little over four months. You can have the whole New Testament read. The whole New Testament. Church, it's not difficult. It's not hard. We can never be too busy for God's word. We must do whatever we need to in our hearts to have a, a love and a hunger for God's word. And so, so let me just share with you, you my journey, my struggles, my, my reality, because it's easy to stand up here and say, you need to do this, you need to get in God's word, you need to do this. And I feel like I'm at an unfair advantage because I'm around God's word every day, all day, Right? So you would think that I, I mean, I should have this stuff, but still there's this desire in me for other things. There's this longing for other things. So, so this year what God has done is I've looked back over my life and I've asked myself, is my, am I bent toward, is there a love and a hunger for God's word? God's revealed areas in my life where the answer is no. There's not. I, I mean, I could give you, I could give you, I've been saved a little over 20 something years. I could give you a verse for every year that I've been saved. But is it hidden in my heart so I don't sin against God? Is it driving me to Jesus or is it just something so I can say I can do it? Yeah, I read the Word every day, but do I retain what I read? Do I do it out of religious duty, or do I do it out of a longing and desire to know Jesus? So for me, what God has done in my life is this, is He's revealed to me how sweet technology can be in the form of the Bible app. And so what I do is I visit it every morning. When my alarm rolls over, I roll over, and I look at God's Word, and I start to try to get that thing in my heart and in my mind. And then as I get here in the morning after I get the boys, one of the boys ready and we get breakfast and we do all that stuff and I drop him off at school and, and I get here, then I open it up again. Okay, what does God's word say again? Because you know how easy it is to forget in that hour and a half span? With making breakfast, with doing this, with getting him there, and then not to mention the phone calls and the craziness. Well, he spit up, daggone it, you're four. How do you spit up? So back to the bedroom. You peed in your, how do you pee your four? So let's change those again. And then we're in the car halfway. Oh, he did it. Oh. Quit kicking my seat. I mean, just all this stuff that just takes our attention away. So I open it up again and I read it. I look at it again before lunch. And then I look at it again after lunch. And then again throughout the day. And if you need to set alarms, man, your phone will set as many alarms as you want to. As many alarms as some of you do that in the morning. You've got 15 alarms going off, like every five minutes. So I say, you get up. Do that with God's word. So for me, it's the Bible app. Something else that God's pressed upon my heart is, man, I want you reading through my word. So with that nice little app, there's, there's devotions as well, or there's this plan that I can read. And, 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 and I don't know if you're like a checkmark person or like mark this thing off, but it even gives you the green checks. Oh, it's awesome. And so as I read my chapter and as I read what I need to read for the day, it gives me a check and says, you're all caught up. 
But I'm not just reading it so I can read it. I'm trying to digest it. I'm trying to understand it. I'm trying to get through God's word. Something else that he's convicted me to do is this right here. This isn't just for show this morning. No, Romans 5, 8. But God demonstrates his love for us and that while we were sinners, that, that Christ dies for us. So I'm trying to, I'm wanting to memorize that. I mean, how great of a scripture is that to share with your lost friend or coworker? But, while, but, that, but God demonstrates his love toward us, for us. How? And when we were sinners, we were wicked. Who was going to go die for their enemy? Who's going to go die for someone that hates them? Who's going to give their, no, Jesus did that. That's what that says. Hey, what a great verse to memorize to share with your lost family, your lost friends. And so I'm asking God to help me get his word in my heart. And then I've got a devotion that I read, my utmost for his highest. And with that, I'm trying to journal a little bit and collect my thoughts and write down what is God stirring in my soul. As, as I read that, as I look at that, I mean, Oswald Chambers, man, just this brilliant mind. And we've got recorded some devotions from him that he has there. And I'll just read that and chew on that through the week as well. And that's a lot. You're absolutely right. It's a lot, but it's not near enough. Yeah, yeah that, that may be a ton for some of it, but that's not near enough, is it? Why? It is God's word, people. It is our creator speaking to us, giving us the way of life, giving us the way of joy, giving us the way of his heart. We should be crazy about this. I mean, we should be so enthralled. What are you thinking of? Well, let me tell you one thing. Chapter so-and-so in, in the book of John, this happens. Th that's what should be on our minds. Not our football team, not our kids, not our this. Our, that should dedicate and take up the majority of our time is his word, a love for his word. And hear me, we will never have that if we don't set up things in our life to point us in that direction. Because what I know is we all swerve and we say it and give it lip service on a Sunday morning. And the moment we walk through the excess in the faith, it is face, it is so easy to just disregard so easy to disconnect. So I don't know what God has stirred in your heart this morning by way of his word, but I beg of you, you do whatever you have to do to grow closer to Jesus and to fall more and more in love with his word. Father, help us this morning in this place. God, help me. Help me to have a greater desire, a greater longing for your word. I say I want it to be my standard, but oh, how much I don't know it or how much I haphazardly look at it. Or I try to study it for a sermon or for a lesson. God, break my heart. God, crush me in that sin. Oh, God, give me a hunger and longing for it. More than my football team, more than anything else that I enjoy doing, God, may I be as the psalmist. May we as the church be as the psalmist says. May that be the greatest desire, is to know you and your word. Father, work in this place this morning. In your name we pray. Amen. I don't know what God stirred in your heart, but if you need to respond, you come and pray. If you need to go talk to someone, I'll be here. If you need to know more about what it means to have a relationship with Jesus, you be obedient to as the Spirit leads this morning. You stand, they're going to lead us.